Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lines Led by Donkeys podcast, but uh, I guess you probably already knew that. What if there was a war raging for a million years, but it was kept a secret? It's a question that Sarkis never considered. He's born as an upper middle class man living in Prime City during the so-called millennia of peace. As far as he knew, or as far as anybody knew, humanity has no army, no weapons, and no wars. The people of Earth had been expanding into the stars as long as anyone remembered, free of conflict, while the techno-king and his royal cabal enriched themselves in the backs of their labor. It was as it always had been. Then, Sarkis died. Unbeknownst to him, an app he used every single day of his life hijacks his consciousness and uploads it into a synthetic engine of war known as a sleeve. Along with countless others, he's been conscripted into the Undying Legion, charged with fighting a secret, unending war in the name of humanity. Their minds stolen, uploaded into war machines. They fight a secret war to preserve humanity. My new book, The Invisible War, comes out February 20th via Atheon Books and is now available for pre-order on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited. If you like what we do here on the show, consider supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash lionsledbydonkeys. Just $5 per month gets you every regular episode early, access to our community Discord, a digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, as well as its audiobook, read by me, and over five years of bonus content. By supporting the show, you support us and allow us to keep our show as it has always been ad-free. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and in the bowels of London, joining me here today on part two of the Chindits is Nate. What's up? Yeah. Uh, for a second, I was like, wait, are you in the bowels of London? Are you here? But then I was like, oh, wait, he means me. Yeah, because I'm in a basement in, in uh, a part of East London bordering on trending towards North London. Uh, I don't know. Is Hackney? I think Hackney is emphatically East London, but it feels like North London because it's far enough north of the river. Yeah, I'm good, man. Uh, you know what? It it feels like the other day it felt like Indiana in March, and now it feels like Indiana in March, <laughs> different kind of of weather. <laughs> uh, but it's all good. Yeah, I'm I'm living. You know, I'm I'm becoming a morning person. Uh, I was a morning person after I had jet lag from fucking traveling back from New Zealand, and then a ba- ha- baby middle of the night wake ups and stuff just uh change that and then now because i have to get up every morning and let people in to fix the fucking tunnel to hell known as the sewer repair shaft uh i i'm now a morning person again so it's 10 08 a.m and i've been up for a while I'm fucking in the studio we're working i'm hella caffeinated i got my meds just fucking ripping through my brain so let's <laughs> let's podcast let's talk about weird british dudes in burma Hell yes. Uh, I am the opposite of being in the basement. I'm like 14 floors up in a Georgian apartment uh, and the caucuses are having their first actual winter storm that's hitting the capital cities. Um, which I didn't realize that you could stack empty bottles of brandy that high. Uh, but I'm in Georgia, which I, I assume means empty bottles of wine. Of incredibly um, sweet wine with writing on it that looks like something you'd see in Hyrule. Yeah, pretty much. Um it's always very funny hearing Armenians and Georgians complain about uh, wine, about like whose wine is better, um, because like, oh, we we are the first people to come up with wine. No, we're the first people to come up with wine. It's like Georgia is dog country, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's the Balkans, but slightly in a different region, um, and with less peer on peer genocide. I can't, I can't, I can't say no peer on peer genocide, but less. What if the Balkans was Iranian somehow? 
Yeah, that works. I actually, I mean, that, that's a good one. Yeah, the, the, ca- that, that the Caspian Sea Balkans. The I don't know the uh, the the what's they call it the the the. the uh, Todd egg Balkans, the baked rice pilaf Balkans, the pomegranate yeah. syrup Balkans. Yeah, you know, it's, it's yeah, all, that's all that all tracks. We all have vaguely Persian shit in our countries. Um, and I did, uh, fun fact, get stuck in my elevator for about an hour uh, coming back from the gym today, <laughs> which which was not good because I hit the call button. Uh, I don't speak Russian. Um, and uh, that's like not exactly a default language here for, uh, let's say, obvious reasons. Um but I, and I, I speak zero Georgian. I don't even know how to say, like, thank you in Georgian. Um, and I hit the like the emergency button. And uh, the voice that comes over it is only speaking Georgian. You should just speak back in Dutch. I bet you one of them <laughs> will just be like, yeah, that, that actually, my, my cousin runs a white van service in fucking Den Haag. So, like, yep, I, I speak Dutch somehow. You know, well, I, I did find so there's a lot of Georgian Armenians, right? And I was like, uh, "Do you speak English?" And he keeps speaking Georgian. And then I ask an Armenian, like, "Do you speak Armenian?" And he's just like, "Yes." And but also like my Armenian, not great. Uh, and I, for instance, I don't know how to say the word elevator in Armenian. So I I resorted to, uh, "I'm sorry, the up down machine is not working." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was gonna say try a little, you know, throw some French, try ascenseur, say lift. You know, you never know. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you can just like go through some pigeon stuff, and you know, it like works. I said, well, it, if works. it works. It works. Yeah, yeah, it did work. He eventually like restarted the elevator, and I managed to get uh, uh ten more floors up to my apartment. Uh, so shout out to you, random Georgian Armenian man who operates my elevator. I'm just laughing at this idea that it's like, oh, they got the elevator operating because it's like the machine from Fritz Lang's Metropolis in the basement of fucking this building in, in Tbilisi. And like a guy's got to twist the lever really hard to make it work. You know, I have no <sighs> idea where this guy was. Um, like I assume he's like the building superintendent version, Georgian version of that. Um, the superintendent Vili. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we turned this we turned this we turned the elevator off cuz we're uh we 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 wanted to save the power to run our bitcoin miner. Okay, part of that is uh, is 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 probably true. Um at least the same electricity. It's, it's yeah. a more annoying cryptocurrency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's Misha coin. Um <laughs> Oh fuck's sake! I I wanted to come up with another, but I realized I don't know the 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 Shvili ending to a name. I do know for Georgians, but the only thing I can possibly think of was yet another Stalin joke. And I'm like, but that's old hat on this show with me. It's all I'm ever doing. I need to like get a primer on Georgia so I can make better riffs on Georgians. Like the only Georgian that's uh, literally that I know is uh, well. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I seem to recall um, that. Uh, my brain is not functioning yet this morning. I I, I falsely advertised how far, <laughs> far far fucking motivated I was this morning. Um, but wasn't Laventry Beria Georgian? Yes, or? he was. Okay, yep. so Beria, I know Stalin, I know, and then this Georgian army officer that went to Ibolik with who had smuggled hash into into the United States into into the U.S. state of Georgia from Georgia. Uh, that's, that's my all boy. The, that's all bet, the, I'll, that, I'll put five dollars. His name was either Givy or Dato. <laughs> I, I don't remember what his last name was, but that does sound familiar. So I got, I got to read. That was my 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 famous Ibolic class where I had like the, the the Serbian guy who couldn't start stop 
permanently harming people during combatives. The, guy, <laughs> the, the second lieutenant from the Liberian army, who's now the chief of staff of the Liberian armed forces and is a three-star general. The Georgian guy who was just like, yes, I smoke ash in dorm room. Uh, and like 18 Lebanese lieutenants to include the guy who told the story about the, when they made fun of them for being such shammers. And the guy was like, you are the son of the bitch. Your mother, she is eating the big dick and she... <laughs> <laughs> all my all my all my Lebanese stories are from that one eyeball platoon, platoon. So yes, yeah, I uh, the, the I only know Givi and Dato as names here because it's the the Georgian version of like every Armenian being named Armin or Hike. Um, gotcha. Yeah, it it, it, it it tracks. Um, it's like the Swiss thing that like the the most uh unbelievably Swiss German guys like their their last names are either like Müller or Bunzli, and so Bunzli becomes like this like it's like. Swiss German Baz, except it's like guy who's constantly writing complaint letters. So yeah, it, this is just a universal thing in 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 it's like keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with Hyon or Armin or keeping up with the Unibrow. It's always I don't very funny know. whenever I meet like um, a friend of the show, Neil Howard. He's been a guest before. He's like, you know, hike, right? I'm like, bro, do you have any idea how little that whittles it down? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it did happen to me one time that I was calling some random balloons. I was like, oh yeah, my friend's in the army. Do you know? But it turned out that I did. He was a soldier <laughs> in my platoon and I'm not joking. And I'm not joking. She then said, oh, well, oh you know? I was like, yeah. She's like, well, could you tell him I'm pregnant? <laughs> Dead serious. I'm not, I was I was literally calling for like a power bill or something like that. So <laughs> I love I love I just you know what and you you don't even bat an eye because you're like yep I, I believe it that's a similar thing happened to me. Uh, I went home. It was years and years ago. I went to Michigan, which tells you how long ago it was because I actually went back to Michigan, and uh, you know I'm from a small community within a big city, and you know my my mom is one of those like overly proud military moms, so she told everybody yeah. I was in the army. And um, their neighbor uh, had their son also joined the army. I never met um, their son at all ever. And uh, like, oh, you you might know my 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 son. He's uh, infantry. He just joined. I was an infantry as a tanker. I was like, oh, you know the army's really big. And he's like, oh yeah, his last name is this. It's like, fuck, I know this guy. <laughs> well, I know we got to get on topic, but I will tell the one last story. I think I've said this before. It's very funny. Years ago, uh, I I taught uh, at a workshop, like a, a creative writing workshop for veterans and for like veteran family, family members, et cetera, in New York City. One of the guys who was both he's an instructor and also like a participant in the class was a New York National Guard vet um, who had deployed to Iraq in like the early part of the war, and he had written a story, and it was it was good. It was like really surreal. It was sort of like a story of like a a fatal incident where like people got killed in a Humvee crash leaving the ECP. And it was just sort of like this just very kind of slice of life haggard moment of like being in a cop and it sucks and life sucks. And like, who, who's supposed to be on this patrol? How are you how are you filling the crews in your vehicles? And there was this one soldier that that uh, was just sort of like one of their kind of like permanently in the gun turret guy. And his name was just ass in the story. And the guy was like, he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm not telling you twice, ass, put your kid on. And, 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 and there was this line of dialogue. He's like, take it up your or put it up your ass, ass said. And I was like, who is the soldier named ass? Like, how has this happened? And then I met you and they're like, oh, yeah, the people in the army are too fucking stupid to say Kasabians. They just called you ass. Yep, they sure did. I, I never, like, I, I, I never got him. away with that from when I was in basic training to the time I got out. I have to, I have to reach out to this guy. I realized this. I'm like, I, I met ass. I found him. <laughs> he is real. I podcast with him. <laughs> the, the the mythological ass. Yeah, well, you know um, what? We're going to talk about a lot of mythological ass uh, about a guy named Ord Wingate, if I'm not mistaken, because there is some there is some uh, some assery taking place. 
there there is a lot of uh, of bullshittery assery and all around uh, chuckle fuckery. I will say in this episode. So when we left you last time, our hero slash terrible person, Ord Wingate, had led his guerrilla army known as the Chindits in a disease-infested suicide mission into Japanese-occupied Burma, and things were going not great, uh, bordering on horribly. Um, now, now on the other side of the Irrawaddy River, Wingate found all of the intelligence that the British military had given him about the area was... Totally and completely wrong. Um, now, Wingate's entire plan required, you know, a jungle. It's cover. It moves his forces around all sneaky-like. But he found on the other side of the Irrawaddy, it was completely barren and dry. There was no jungle to speak of. I hate it when this happens. I hate it when they invent primitive Asian orange and uh, fucking <laughs> deforest my jungle, you know. Uh, desiccate my 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 beautiful overhead cover. It's just unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, it, to be fair, if anybody was going to drop that during World War II, it probably would have been the British. Um, I mean, in a couple of years, they would be dropping it on uh, Malaysia. Uh, on, the thing no. about this is that they would they would specifically be dropping it not because it's a defoliant, but because they're like this will cause birth defects. Yeah, uh, we have to make them more British. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? This is how I know you're going to be good on the live show, Joe, because you've got you've got that comic timing. You've got it. You've got it down pat. Now, on top of all of this, many of the villages on this side of the river were actually pro-Japanese rather than the ones closer to the Indian border where the Chindits had started. They were pro-British or failing that at the very least anti-Japanese. Uh, and on top of that being you know dry and open. Uh, it made it a very good place for the Japanese to build infrastructure, specifically roads, which the Japanese then use for motorized patrols. So the entire area is swarming with Japanese patrols, and now the Chindits are just kind of like completely lost and have nowhere to hide. Yeah, it's like, great, all right, you guys thought you were doing jungle warfare. Instead, you're starting, it's level one of the original Nintendo version of Metal Gear. And you're just like, <laughs> it's just jo- dro- airdropped into the middle of, some kind of inscrutable landscape that's kind of a jungle and kind of a desert and kind of savanna and there's just guys patrolling endlessly back and forth just every like like fully automated never take a break just like as soon as they hit one point turn around go back the other way and you have to pretend that you're hiding in a box yeah yeah or Woodgate's like i have an idea everybody pretend you're 2d yeah the first time in in human history that a military patrol said huh what was that noise <laughs> that was actually <laughs> speaking of airdrops actually uh remember the last episode this entire mission required resupply via air uh via airdrop yep. and that immediately fell apart and everybody was hungry and thirsty not to mention everybody's dead tired and sick because they've been marching for hundreds of miles through the fucking jungle and crossing rivers and that's not even counting being shot at well, if I remember anything from Metal Gear Solid 3, you need to eat a specific mushroom in the forest and it'll give you night vision. <laughs> but it'll be green night vision like you're wearing knots. To be fair, if anybody believed that, it'd be fucking Ord Wingate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And he would commune, commune with the warrior spirit, the, 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 the eternal, you know, like, ur-barbarian that's within us all. He eats some fucked up mushrooms and starts seeing Churchill floating through the clouds. Uh, <laughs> but now- Churchill was alive at the time. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, basically churchill was so fucked up off his like 11th pint of brandy that night that when ord wingate takes the mushroom that takes you to a different dimension he meets churchill because they're both sort of like you know the, the, their spirits have left their bodies in different ways 
<laughs> now, when the airdrops actually did get to the Chindits, which was not very often, um, one of Wingate's commanders had to remind his soldiers that if anybody was caught stealing from the food, they'd be shot. Um, and a small, a small side note here, the supply system overall didn't work, but when it did work, it worked weirdly well. Like it, they had radios to the RAF, at which point they could call and say exactly what they needed. And most of the time it would not be delivered, but sometimes it was so accurate. It was strange. For instance, the Scottish soldiers ordered fudge and it showed up. And then someone else ordered new dentures and a porno magazine, and those showed up. But they were always short of ammo, they were short of food, they were short of water, but they had Scottish fudge, porn, and fake teeth. I mean, I feel as though you and I have both experienced echoes of this sort of thing in our lives when we were in the military. So I absolutely believe it, that like... The thing you need doesn't get delivered, but for some reason, the one-off bullshit. You're like, hey, what do you want? Um, uh, I want $5 for the Tooth Fairy and a birthday card. Yep, you got it. And it shows up. Yep. Like, Or like my, my buddy on a 10-day air assault patrol, they put in a resupply for water and they get a pallet of muffins. <laughs> Whereas, or, or like my first sergeant be like, I know they're be like, you know, Nate, I know they're going to fuck everything up. Please, will you go down to the airfield and square this away from me? And I looked at it and I was like, yes, I will. Because what he needed was basically he needed a, uh, a pallet of water and a, a what's it called? Um, aviator bag full of batteries, like radio batteries. <laughs> and what they had marked for him was a pallet of sundry items, which if you've ever gotten the sundry item re- resupply packets, it's like laundry detergent and toothbrushes. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's... Uh, it's like famously during the Korean War, uh, the Marines needed resupply and they got like condoms. Yeah, my friend said that they they basically everyone was so thirsty that they're like, we don't even want the muffins. Like basically they packed enough muffins that everybody could have one or two muffins in their bags and they threw a thermite grenade on the rest. <laughs> the Taliban could not have these yeah, muffins. You will, not have these, you will not have Otis Spunkmeyer. You are not allowed to taste the fucking munificence of American culture. <laughs> Fucking Otis Spunkmeyer. I, I will never eat an Otis Spunkmeyer muffin again as long as I live. And in fact, the very concept of muffins to me now, as I'm 35 years old and I've been out of the military for over 10 years, I cannot remember a time I've ever voluntarily eaten a muffin ever since. Um, yeah, man. Look, I I make I, I make banana bread muffins, and it's like it kind of like restored the concept of muffins for me because yeah, like between the bad stuff in the field kitchens, Otis Spunkmeyer, the Jimmy Dean meal packs, they're like, what if MREs were worse? Uh, you know, like <laughs> yeah, you know, we got we we're we're getting through a historical story, but let's just say that there are echoes, there are similarities in the military resupply system now, and I can only imagine what it was like back then when you were you know you were talking on shortwave radio to guys who like had the real voices of what you imagine the rabbits from Redwall talking like, and that every now and again you might get a porno mag and a new set of fake teeth, but you would emphatically not be getting ammo. We will give you fake teeth, but nothing to chew with them. Um, now, now this is where Wingate discovered a critical cl- a flaw in his entire plan, something he should have seen since the very beginning. Because remember, this whole operation originally was planned to be a smaller part of a bigger offensive, but yes. the bigger offensive was canceled. And because Wingate's insane, he convinced them that the Chindit mission should go ahead anyway. Well, he was now seeing the problems with this, and that because that meant every single Japanese patrol in the entire area can now be focused on wrecking his shit. 
uh, and they were constantly running from patrols. They're constantly hit with artillery. Aircraft were always overhead. And he was starting to be like, I feel like I may have fucked up somewhat. Um, but he, this did not mean he was going to quit. He planned on pressing on ahead anyway. Uh, and that is when the British Army's command, Wavell, was like, this is fucking stupid and ordered Wingate to get everyone the hell back to India on March 22nd. I feel like when the enemy is actually behaving the way that like an eight-year-old would design a plan for like a villain's fortress, like technodrome style thing, like they're actually doing like, you know, they've got fighter pilots doing patrols. They've got guys just like crawling on the ground with knives doing (laughs) patrols for some reason. Like when they're actually behaving like Captain Planet villains and their henchmen, you might be like, okay, we we may need to, to not engage. This may not be a good idea. Yeah, you one know. of his Gurkhas comes running out of the woods like, you're not going to believe this. It's I saw like, some kid hold up a ring and scream out, heart, I'm being <laughs> chased by a guy who's also a pig. Someone yeah, this- threw a green shell at me. Let's get the fuck out of here. There's this guy with a green flat top and really, really white skin. He's just flying around talking about recycling. I don't know what's happening, but it's scary <laughs> as hell. What the fuck is recycling? Now, Wingate followed these orders, but at the most Wingate way possible, he ordered his men to break into small groups and effectively do whatever they wanted on their way back to India. Ambush, blow up, and damage anything Japanese you could find along the way. And since Wingate had trained his officers and NCOs to ignore orders when they simply did not like them, many... Many had gone like the complete opposite direction when he turned back towards India. So they're like, nah, fuck that. We're going to go further into Burma. Uh, one of his commanders, a guy named Ferguson, launched an attack on a village in the complete opposite direction. He got cut off, had his life saved by a single Burmese soldier, and had to sprint off into the night, cut off from everybody in order to not get captured and murdered by the Japanese. He would have to run all the way back to India on his own. I feel like this is just every single one of these things seems as though it's been created to like be able to be the subject matter of a different episode of our show 80 years later. It's like Ord Wingate was like, I heard there are these two assholes from America who are going to emigrate to Europe and do a podcast and they're going to have a third guy from Ireland who's going to be on here fucking, you know, making them talk about anime and I want to make sure that I give them as much content as possible. So I want every single one of my guys to go off on a separate side mission to do, you know, heroic feats of daring do and manly valor. That's incredibly stupid and doesn't accomplish shit, but does involve you doing like escape from L.A. in the Burmese jungle. Yeah, And somehow this isn't even the dumbest thing that would happen during this retreat. Like other columns lost contact with one another. Others just left their radios and maps for the Japanese to capture. Others like had no idea where they were going, even when they had a map, because they couldn't read it. In another case, the column tried to cross a river, only to discover they did not actually cross the river, but made it to an island in the middle of said river, and then their boats were swept away, trapping them there. So because more, we're just gonna have to live here forever with this <laughs> civilization on this island. You know, all right, I'm fucking one of you. Which one's it gonna be? <laughs> exactly, one of y'all's getting pregnant so we can have, I don't know how it's gonna be possible. We're gonna repopulate the earth. That's what Dolly Parton's Islands in the Stream is actually about. It's a subtle <laughs> message. 
That's actually where Dolly Parton was born. She's from a strange <laughs> island in the middle of the Irrawaddy River. Don't ask about her her her, her parental lineage. She just got yeah. to where did Tennessee? I can't remember where she's from. Somewhere uh, like that. I, I Tennessee. feel like it's uh, let's somewhere say there. let's say Tennessee. Tennessee feels safe. Somewhere in the south, yeah. Someone is screaming right now. If we're wrong, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure Dolly World is in Tennessee, so that would make sense. But like, she has a Tennessee vibe. But I could be very wrong. It could be like I don't know, fucking very far western Kentucky, northern Georgia. I don't know. Please don't yep. hurt me. I know Dolly heads are like literally will will will, will slip my throat in the night like a fucking like the the the, the, the Shogun's ninja assassin. So please don't don't do that. To me. Someone's gonna dress up like a chindit to assassinate yeah, you. Yeah, for- my house my my house is an open sewer shaft in it right now. Like I'm already fucking at my last goddamn. Like really hanging by a thread here. Please don't do that to me. And so other soldiers and officers saw them on this island. They're like, oh fuck, we have to get over to them. So they tried to swim across this river and immediately drowned. At the <laughs> At this point, one officer did make it onto the island and realized his men were refusing to move um, on account, you know, the murderous river and the fact they had no boats. And if they were going to make it any further, they have to effectively leave everything with their weapons. They're going to strip naked minus boots and swim for their lives. And nobody would do it. So he's like, if you don't start moving in 30 minutes, we're going to leave you behind for the Japanese. A full quarter of his force elected to take their chances falling into Japanese custody than swimming across the river. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes I feel like there's Ord Wingate and some of just the, the British guys that make up this sort of coterie of weirdos in general lived their lives as though it was like they behaved like it was a video game where you had at least three lives before it was game over. And Ord Wingate definitely thought he had the Konami code. And it's like, you need to remind these guys, that, no, when you die, you actually die for real. Like, it's not just it plays like the Mario music and then you start over. Like, you're actually dead. Trying to swim across the Irrawaddy like, oh, it was up, up, down, up, left. Fuck shit as, as you're sinking. I, I remember uh, that I met a dude from Nepal who was incredibly good at Contra and he didn't know about the Konami code when I told him about it. And he was like, you motherfuckers, do you have any idea how hard that game is to beat? He's like, I beat it. I played it so fucking much in my cousin's village, having to fucking hike three miles to get there to play it on the TV. I used to sing the Contra theme music to like fucking keep myself motivated on my hikes. Like, I beat that game without losing a single life and you motherfuckers had 25 lives. Like, the Konami code hadn't made it to Nepal. <laughs> yeah, un- unfortunately for the Chindits, the final boss is some Japanese conscript who's bayoneting them in the skull. Yeah, exactly. And he doesn't have a big glowing red spot that's his weak point you have to shoot at. <laughs> it did make things somewhat more convenient. Yeah, you have to fight all the way to the emperor before you get to that boss fight. Uh, now, <laughs> many of the columns of Chindits were running away so quickly they couldn't stop for resupply, leaving them to survive on a steady diet of tea and malted milk tablets, or as we call it, British food. I was going to say, that's basically like, yeah, when when Tesco's been cleared out and you don't have time to fucking wait for them to restock the shelves. It's just like, all right. <laughs> this is how I live now. Yeah. Uh, and the men were starving to death, but they are still managing to march. Most of them were on the verge of literally dropping dead when they're lucky enough to be saved by Burmese villagers who hated the Japanese. So they would feed them and be like, hey, you should go this way. The Japanese don't patrol that way. Uh, one of the columns got so off course, they finally figured out it would be easier for them to walk to China than India. And they made it. And the Chinese Nationalist Army sent word to the British Army headquarters in Delhi, India, be like, hey, don't worry, we found your soldiers, which must have been really fucking confusing for the Delhi HQ. Like, what do you mean you found our soldiers? Why are they in China? 
chilling. They heard there was good noodles, you know. <laughs> yeah. They heard that uh, they heard there's a guy with this thing called TikTok, and he you can down pints of beer while eating huge meals of stew. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a life. Hell yeah. Chiang Kai-shek just ordered several people to feed them grapes while they're laying around. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's just one of those things where you forget that, okay, like geographically speaking, the borders are very close to each other here, but that it is very, very funny. Um, I mean, I, I've heard of people doing this in the modern day by mistake and uh, without giving too much details because I don't want it to become an OPSEC thing that gets people in trouble if they haven't escaped, if they've escaped it already. Uh, I knew some guys who were doing a J set as special forces guys with some people in a country that borders a country that's hostile to America and they didn't bring a GPS during a training exercise, wandered into that hostile country's borders, got rolled up by their security forces. Americans got let go. They're fucking foreign counterparts did not let go they got interrogated as fuck and uh oh, yeah, Jesus to say, Christ. probably damaged the military working relationship between those two countries I, I, and i won't go any further but but some people out there who know what i'm talking about are like oh yes i know exactly i know exactly this incident uh it's nothing several billion dollars of military aid can't fix uh, uh column three of the chindits all but fell apart its commander saw that his men were dying and the entire group was simply not going to make it back so he came up with a plan to split off into even smaller groups to give you know the stronger ones a better chance of making it so they didn't feel like they have to slow down for the weaker ones and you know other columns ran into similar problems but they had a trick up their sleeve they had been supplied with benzedrine, the first amphetamine made for pharmaceutical use. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. They're like just like me. They got legal speed and it makes their brain work fast until it doesn't. And then you, you yeah. have a complete collapse. They got ripped to the gills on amphetamines and stormed through the jungle without a thought of food going through their head. And one guy who loved benzedrine was Ord fucking Wingate. He ate tab after tab of the stuff while his men took a break to butcher and eat their own mules while he paced back and forth, rambling about the Italian Renaissance, the idea of a United Nations, because remember, it doesn't exist yet, and Marxism. Bro, have you ever taken so much meth you start talking about theory? <laughs> Joe, all I can say is ADHD representation is so important. <laughs> It's really, really heartwarming to know that like there's I have people I can look up to that you know are just like me. I mean, I don't walk around naked with garlic over my neck like I'm fucking fending off Nosferatu and Vlad Tapish, but like you know, Maybe you should try. Whom among us has not based around endlessly fucking talking about whatever the fuck comes to your mind, confusing the hell out of all the people around you? Uh, you know, uh, and then you're like, you know, what? I need another one of these pills. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, the meth high was only interrupted by the time everyone got sick because they ate bad python meat and began shitting themselves. This is 100% Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. But in that game, if you leave your saved game and you come back 48 hours later or more, the meat from the animals that you fucking butchered in the jungle will have spoiled because they're like, oh, isn't this funny? Like, literally, so you don't have your inventory anymore because it's all gone bad and you give yourself food poisoning and, like, shit yourself and slow down because it's like, oh, it's rotten. Like... <laughs> <laughs> the, the fucking, like I didn't even know what like a gay eel was like some kind of weird I think it's a saltwater crocodile thing that grows in Southeast Asia somewhere. Metal Gear Solid Three is set in the imaginary Soviet jungle, which I don't think there's a jungle climate anywhere in the borders of the Soviet Union. Like Sochi is the closest I can think of, and it's not a it's not a jungle. It's a rainforest in this video game. Like I don't think the Soviet Union had a rainforest. Maybe I'm wrong, but anyway, yeah, you get weird ass animals. But if you come back like a, like a week later or whatever, like all your meat's rotten. And I was like, ha, that's funny. But apparently, they're the they're the case study. 
Hideo yeah. Kojima was just like, I, I've heard about Ord Wingate, and I want to make a, ba- a game based on him, but also it's going to have Solid Snake, and also we're going to make fun of Raiden from Metal Gear Solid 2 by making him a Soviet officer who's gay. Yeah, uh, Solid Snake is just Ord Wingate uh, ripped to the gills on meth and bad python meat, like literally shitting himself. And like all of the sickness, meth and starvation, of course, led to a break in discipline because of course it did. This led officers and NCOs to get men moving by literally holding them at gunpoint and occasionally pistol whipping them to motivate them. And (laughs) and mind you, remember, while they're pistol whipping one another, all their pants are stained with shit. Uh, that that was a point very much driven home in the source material is that like this wasn't like they had an upset tummy. They're all actively shitting themselves for bad python meat and meth. <laughs> it's like, listen, men, if you don't get get in formation and get ready to march, we're going to SP in 30 minutes. Get in formation or I'm taking your jewels away and you're not allowed to hit the jewel anymore. No more vaping until we get on the march. And they're all like, ah, ah, fate worse than death as they're fucking dropping yet another tab. I mean, <laughs> like, I'm going to say like, like, like I was I was prescribed top up medication to, in case like the shit was wearing off, you know, in the end of the day. And I realized that like for one reason or another, uh, maybe it's because I've lost weight being on this, these meds. The top ups are too much for me. I mean, they'll definitely let me power through things, but I will definitely also be like, googling niche excel formulas to solve a problem only i know about at three in the morning so i understand it and also i understand that sometimes your tummy will hurt from taking taking legal speed and you have to poop a lot and if you can't poop or you ate rotten python you probably are finding yourself in a situation where it's just kind of coming out <laughs> Feel bad. It's, it's snaking its way out of you like it snaked its way in. I was going to say, Rotten Python for me is normally trying to teach myself how to code at 4.30 in the morning because I drank a Pepsi <laughs> Max and took another speed pill at 8 o'clock at night. So I empathize. I sympathize. I feel them. By uh, by this point, some groups of the Chindits had made it back to India, but Wingate hadn't, sparking rumors that he had died. But he finally did make it back to British lines three weeks after everyone else. Groups and individuals of men would appear on the Burmese jungle for days and weeks afterwards or end up in China. A full one-third of the Chindit force was completely lost during the mission, dying in one horrible way or another or simply never being seen again. Out of 3,000 men, 2,180 returned, but everybody who returned was broke the fuck down from campaign stress, disease, and starvation. Despite Wingate himself being worried that he would face charges for how many men that he had lost, the British press immediately spun the mission as a daring, adventurous success and made sure to point out the fact that he was related to Lawrence of Arabia. And the media ate Wingate up. He's a character. I wouldn't want to eat him up. He's got shit all over him. <laughs> he's, got shit, he's got shit all over him. He's full of rotten python. Can you imagine how insanely disappointed just all those dudes who dealt with his bullshit forever were like he's finally fucking dead and he just jumps out of the jungle looking like the chupacabra with just <laughs> completely like putrescent python hanging out of his mouth like, you guys want any want any, want any this is as good as hell tastes great emerges from the jungle caked in his own filth butt naked wearing onions and garlic ripped to the gills on speed he's like let's do it again you guys want to talk about the medicis <laughs> he's a fucking cryptid (laughs) dude this man this man would have been a great podcaster is all i'm saying no because remember like at the time things were not going great for the war effort for the allies in asia so like they just 
grabbed onto Wingate as a lone victory story. And Wingate rolled with it because he loved attention. If there's one thing that Ord Wingate loved, it was Ord Wingate. So despite him knowing that the mission was pretty much a failure, he was just like, fuck yeah, we ruled. Uh, and they're like, sir, could you please take a bath? It's been weeks. No. So, so what you're basically saying is Ord Wingate was, uh, he, he, he was actually the, uh, the inventor of the concept of the Sante raid, which... <laughs> Kind of, you know that. I know you know that whole story. They're like, "Oh, we did fucking, we inspired the POWs." I was like, "No, you guys went to an empty camp because you had bad intel. And you just got a helicopter shot down. Well done, guys. Cool. Nailed right. it. Nailed it. Yeah, you you guys did Chuck Norris shit, and it fucking sucked. You're like, yeah, well, at least we did it. And it's like, well, yeah, at least those guys tried to rescue the hostages in Iran in 1980 and crashed three planes together. I don't know how you even do that. But hey, most people only believe you can crash one plane at a time. The U.S. Air Force looked at that and saw a challenge. They adapted and they overcame. They said that's rookie shit. You know what? We're a professional fighting force. Just wait. Uh, However, behind the media blitz, the military was asking important questions such as, what the fuck was the point of all of this? They had lost quite a lot of men and a lot of material to accomplish effectively nothing other than what you could consider a proof of concept for Wingate's tactics. Also, like, and, you now, can you imagine how expensive it was to get porn and fake dentures to like the Indian slash Burmese theater of operations? Right. Like, like our, 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 our strategic fudge supply is running low now thanks to Wingate. Yeah. And, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. And while while the military was asking these questions, Winston Churchill got involved, and it turned out he loved the entire thing. He invited Wingate back to London for dinner, and Churchill was a huge fan of this guy, and despite his obvious flaws, and remember, Churchill knew he was nuts, Um, and for all of those many, many flaws you don't want in a military commander, Wingate did know a lot about the various problems in the Indian and Chinese theaters, because he was still a very intelligent, well-read man. And unfortunately, the his answer to all of these problems were throwing the Chindits in there. So before long, the Chindits became a major part of all Allied planning in that particular theater of war, especially in northern Burma. However, this would require him to vastly expand his force, as well as replace all of the ones that died in various horrible ways in the last mission. And that entire thing would be under the command of, wait for it, Lord Louis Mountbatten. Oh, fuck me. I was going to say that Wingate and the Chindit sounds like yet another counterfeit Alvin and the Chipmunks band. (laughs) When you bring in Mountbatten, it's just like, ah, great. And this is fresh off of his massive fuck up at Dieppe as well. So like he was already known to be kind of a dumbass. It is kind of amazing to me that like I've made the comment before that the Brits, especially like middle to upper class Brits have this notion that you can basically reverse gravity if you just bully it hard enough. Like, (laughs) and it feels the same way with their kind of military history and like the people particularly from the 20th century that they venerate. Is that like everyone knows these guys fucking sucked and were terrible at their jobs and the sort of combined effort of both veterans organizations and like professional historians that are sort of within the the acceptable discourse in Britain is just to bully and try to publicly shame anyone who acknowledges reality who says like, sir, actually the, the ass flap of your old timey pajamas is hanging open and so that's how you get all these stories about these people who are like, oh, there's some blah, 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 you know, guys like Bernard Montgomery. And it's like, he was yeah. an idiot. He sucked at his job. Everyone fucking hated him. And amongst other things. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say he was definitionally a nonce, but he wrote love letters to a 12-year-old boy in Switzerland, and it was very, very weird. So let's just, we'll leave it at that. Um, At the end of the day, it's so bizarre to me because you're just like, you read this and, you know, your, your, your boilerplate kind of British military history thing about World War II, about the 20th century in general, would be like, ah, Mountbatten, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, you and I know, like, oh, God, fuck me. No. Great. You know, we do have to credit Mountbatten with one thing. He's the first person to go to space while using a boat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And you know what? Like, uh, that's the thing. Someone got really mad at us about the episode, the series that you and Tom did. And all I can say is, like, yeah, it's not it's not funny that some kids, some some teenage kids died. However, the fact that Mountbatten died that way is funny. And it's like, it's sad. It's it's a tragedy when, when families lose their loved ones, their innocent loved ones. Like, you know what I mean? And yet we have to be able to have the openness of spirit and intellect to say that is a tragedy. And also in, in the capacity of killing Mountbatten on his pleasure boat off the coast of Ireland, the bomb is funny. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like we've got to have that capacity as thinkers. Otherwise, we're doomed to repeat our own mistakes. Now, uh, you, need to, you need to send your thought process into the clouds much like pieces of Louis Mountbatten. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, he, he had uh, Mountbatten been put in the command over everyone else, despite him being incredibly unqualified for such a promotion. We talked about this more on Dieppe, uh, on our Dieppe episode a long time ago. Um, and uh, somehow, to make this entire situation even worse, Wingate was given a personal letter, letter from Churchill that effectively authorized him to do whatever he wanted. And if anybody tried to stop him, he could just wave the letter in their face. And Churchill promised him the world. But as soon as he got back to India, the entire British army did their best to let him know how much they hated him. On top of all of the other shit about Wingate they already hated, his newly established staff had no offices and they were forced to work in the hallways. And when it came to planning any anything, everyone in every single meeting told him, damn, we just can't help you with that, bro. That sucks. Uh, we don't we can't really fit the chindits in this operation. We'll we'll try again next time. Yeah, and- I mean, it's the worst <laughs> case of blue balls ever for all the British military staff in India. that They thought they were done with this guy forever. And then like he just full on Bigfoot is real storms out of the tree cover. And they now Winston Churchill loves him. So, yeah, I get it. They're frustrated. Yeah. They really don't like him, uh, and they didn't like him to start with. Now they hate him even more. Others told him that planning any future operation in Asia was pointless until they had made some progress against Germany in Europe or Africa. This is mostly because General Woodburn Kirby, head of staff in Delhi, fucking hated Wingate for his personality and tactics, but also because he was jealous at the amount of access he had with Churchill and Wingate in, in turn hated him telling Mountbatten that they should fire him, but Mountbatten couldn't none that slowed Wingate down. And he began a new punishing training regimen for his new batch of chindits. He immediately got typhoid fever, however, and nearly died because instead of going to a hospital, he tried to heal it via running, which did not work. This is just like, Wow, this guy should be one of General Stanley McChrystal's fucking chiefs of staff because I swear to God, there's just so many echoes. These guys, <laughs> like the the dudes are like, I don't eat, I don't sleep, I drink, I, I, I have a burrito every night at 9 p.m. Other than that, no food enters my body. I run 14 miles a day. I fucking suck at my job. But you know what? <laughs> Everyone respects me because I'm really fast at running. It's like, 
wow, something's never changed. <laughs> and when, when Wingate finally got to the hospital, doctors figured that he would be bedridden until at least February of 1944 because he had waited so long to get treatment and then, you know, actively made it worse. Meanwhile, meanwhile the first Chindits who had survived their last mission picked up the job of training the new Chindits, which would turn into a 20-week-long jungle-bound hazing side quest, and they were actually ready to go by the time Wingate had healed. And when he came back, he devised what would become known as Operation Thursday. Chindits would be flown into Burma via gliders and set up strongholds. Once there, they would carve out landing strips and defenses, and for the first time, the Chindits would have artillery support provided from these strongholds. They were effectively going to set up fire bases. They could then raid out of them and return to the safety of the defenses rather than camp out in the bush and hope for the best. And on February 20th, 1944, Wingate was to document this notion of a stronghold, and the entire idea did not come from a place you think it did. Joe, I just got to say that I someday would hope we could do an episode about World War II gliders, also known as the plane that falls and that you die inside. Because <laughs> it is such a fascinating concept of plane that doesn't have a motor, but is towed behind a plane that does and is then released and you just drift in and hope it's all good. Uh, now, I'm going to let you continue because I know we, we've got a script to stick to, but just to me, when you say gliders, I'm like, <laughs> attrition rates just pop into my head like thought bubbles, you know, like a cartoon character having a having an epiphany, a big ass light bulb. All I can think of is like at least 25% of people just burn in and die. Well, good news, Nate. You kind of nailed it. Um, like now, his, his idea for strongholds didn't come from the military or any kind of military education. Rather, because remember, he kind of grew up in a cult. Yeah. It came from the book of Zechariah, uh -oh. and specifically from the, pa the passage, turn ye to the stronghold, ye prisoners of hope. And then he added underneath, the motto of the stronghold is no surrender. This is like what the worst NCO you ever dealt with would have tattooed on his chest. A hundred percent. Yeah. Either that or like a Boondock Saints tattoo. It's hard to tell. <laughs> I, think I'm yeah. I, I think I'm showing my age at the second no, one. No, a hundred percent. Brother, I mean, I had fucking guys who put the whatever the stupid tattoos they had that were in Latin as the names of their tanks on their tank barrels. And stuff. Yep, I gotcha. Losers. Uh, now, pretty much everyone in India thought this plan was insane, and so far outside of what anyone else had ever done, it could only exist in the damaged mind of Ord Wingate. Wingate had the complete support of Churchill, Wavell, and the British allied Americans, who were so inspired by him, they started their own Chindit unit, known famously as Merrill's Marauders, in case oh, you're wondering where they right. came from. Very quick potted history. Basically, this is the foundational unit that then becomes the uh army rangers basically merrill's marauders become ranger units ranger units become a standard kind of equipment thing in vietnam that companies will have a ranger unit that goes away then early 70s they stand up the rangers are supposed to be like the world's best regular army airborne infantry battalion and then eventually they they become a spec ops unit but yes merrill's marauders fucking venerated in u.s army history especially if you're airborne infantry ranger etc um very We'll we'll eventually do like some kind of series on Merrill's. That's actually how I ended up doing this two parter. Is I was looking into Merrill's Marauders. I'm like, this is this is a much longer series, but this Ordwin Gate guy is fucking nuts. It's just very funny to me. They're like, yeah, it's inspired by a guy who did great feats of daring do in the jungles of Burma. British guy. And then you read about it. It's like, oh, he's that kind of British guy. <laughs> Roger. Yep. So the mission went on ahead. However, 
At the last second, aerial reconnaissance showed that one of the three landing zones for the gliders, codename, of course, Piccadilly, had been <laughs> had been blocked by a bunch of tree stumps, rendering it useless. Now, this raised a lot of very important questions. It's Namely, absolutely impossible for us to continue our mission and use the gliders the way that they're designed to be used. If we crash into some tree stumps, we have to <laughs> crash into entire whole trees, all right? It's the principle of it. You crash the plane and you hope you don't die. That's how, literally how it works. Someone watched like a bird slam into a window and they're like, I have an idea. <laughs> now, like the neon was not an original concept <laughs> this brought up some serious questions when it came to military planning though had the japanese figured out their plan did the mission get leaked because they were working with Ch- chinese nationalist forces and they weren't exactly the most loyal or secure on earth so this was a possibility had their like code been broken or something and if they had they were going to their certain death so it made sense to call the whole thing off. Then Wingate thought, wait, I can't do that. The entire Delhi headquarters fucking hates me. And if we had to call this plan off, they could claim a victory on him. They'd have one over on him. So Wingate simply changed his mind, decided to cram the entire glider force originally meant for three landing zones into one known as Broadway. So then the mission started anyway, only an hour late. He did all of this in an hour, which is not how you want to plan a mission. No, probably not. Um, And then everything immediately starts going bad because the gliders start taking off. So, yeah. So just just so we're clear for the last time, the way that a World War II military glider works is, and I say this without any joy, without any excitement, without any uh, smugness, it is a plane with no engine, and it gets dragged behind a plane as it takes off, and then you let it go, and it goes, and you just drift it on in, just gently drift it in, and hope that you've got a nice, clear, grassy field to land it in, and crash it in, because you're literally crash landing it, because there's no brakes. You're landing not, with not, style. Not really to speak of, and, uh, and then, uh, but most of the time, you just crash into trees, and everyone dies. Yeah, generally. There's a reason we don't use them anymore, because... <laughs> It never ended well. Like, no glider mission went great. Because we found far more efficient ways to kill 15 to 25 people at a time. It's called Chinooks. And, you know, if you're... if you're No, I take that again. Chinooks are wonderful. It's called the V-22 Osprey. I do think it's funny that they flew the president and won those once. <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if you're going to find a more economical way to kill that many paratroopers at once, just let them jump out of a plane normally. <laughs> yeah, let's, say, let's be like, guys, we're going to get your combat star. It's called Sicily. It's going to whip ass. <laughs> now, as soon as the plane started taking off, the gliders, which were being towed by a leash, the leash broke free, throwing the glider just randomly into the jungle minutes after taking off. And honestly, when you're using gliders, you kind of expect shit like that to happen. You expect them to crash. But one thing you don't expect to happen is the planes towing them to forget to put fuel in their planes and then having to randomly cut the glider free so they could return to base before they crash. Uh, And those gliders went sailing off into the distance, having no communication with the plane that's towing them, right? So the, the gliders crash, thinking they're in Burma, emerge out of the glider, shooting and throwing hand grenades in the middle of the British staff office. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. What are you, these guys aren't Japanese? Fuck. I, I'm speechless. 
I, I, I normally it's like, ha, ah, it's time for Nate to say something funny, funny and stupid. But wow, I, 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 let me let me just reiterate this for clarity. Joe did not share a script of this in advance. I did not read Wikipedia because I can't read. And I, I did it's not a prerequisite for being a co-host on the show. I did not do any advanced research for this that would spoil my reactions. I did not know and then thereby direct the joke about fucking the gliders crashing and stuff. I just, uh, at, there was a time when I could read and I read a book about gliders. And so, or, and I also, I was like, well, that's funny because there's old glider training grounds at Fort Benning. And then you read about it and you're like, oh, well, that sucked. I wouldn't want to be in one of those. Like the only thing worse than that is like the first iteration of army they weren't even, I don't know if they were tanks, the tanks they used in North Africa during fucking Operation Torch or whatever it was, where like they, they like, they were gigantic turrets that always profiled you on the horizon. It's called the thing the Germans shoot at and it explodes. So yeah, like, pretty much. Yeah, it just sucked. Terrible equipment. Glad it's gone. Didn't know. So, wow. And to make matters even worse, everybody was so stuck on Piccadilly being blocked. They didn't actually do aerial reconnaissance of Broadway. So as the gliders are landing, they realize that giant ditches had been cut through the landing zone, which the gliders discovered by crashing directly into them as gliders began to rapidly pile up. Because remember, this is the only place all of them are landing now. This created a boneyard of gliders while men tried to climb out and run away before the next glider came flying into the pile of gliders. 30 men died. This is just the fucking car crash on car crash shit from the Blues Brothers where it goes on for like 15 minutes. Yeah. Except gliders. Yeah, they have 50 total casualties, 30 dead and 20 wounded just from landing. People had to work through the night and the early morning just to clear the wreckage by hand to open the landing zone for the rest of the gliders. And somehow this worked. They cleared the run runway, dug an actual landing strip and began flying in men and material with actual planes. And at no point did the Japanese figure out what was going on. And the next day, the Chindits started doing their Chindit shit. A detachment of, uh, of Chindits charged a Japanese position called Pagoda Hill, which led to hand-to-hand -hand combat, where a British officer got into like a knife fight with a Japanese officer who was armed with a katana. This led to the Brit having his arm hacked off. And then as the Brit was like falling, he remembered he had a revolver, drew his revolver and shot the Japanese officer. And then both men collapsed on top of one another and died. It's like those dinosaur skeletons locked in like eternal combat. This is just like, yeah, I was going to say in my in my mind's eye, he like his eyeballs bulge really huge after the, the, the blade swing. And it was like after he pulls the revolver out and shoots the guy that then his arm just perfectly slides off with like blast lines in the background. And it's just like, yep, yep, this is a. Uh, the whole world is just anime. Anime you, is real you get now. Like a, you get like a Kurosawa burst of blood. I mean, I was just thinking of like Akira, which is that one works. of like five animes I've ever seen because I just, <laughs> it's just not my thing. I mean, it was when I was 13, like most 13-year-old boys who were not getting laid in 1997. Well, um, now I just feel personally attacked. Go on. <laughs> look, I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. It's, it's just one of those things where there's a few things here and there that can capture my attention. But by and large, like the only thing I wind up really liking is the weird aesthetics, particularly from 90s stuff, because the 90s stuff where they envision what the future will be like is like off base in many ways, but cool. But it's just not my thing. Like, I, I don't, I'm not a hater. I'm not judging. I have seen enough anime to make the same joke over and over again ad infinitum. But uh, you're right. This sounds like 
to me, this sounds like something out of anime or a Kurosawa film or an insane Japanese film like Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, so if you're listening and you can draw anime, I have a scene for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Now, in other places, groups of chindits set up to blow up rail lines and roads. And in another place, Gurkha soldiers wielding flamethrowers attacked a village, charging at it, firing jets of burning fuel, taking the village down in the process because, you know, that's what a flamethrower does. And then after their flamethrower ran out of fuel, because they don't have that much, they ditched their flamethrowers, drew out their kukri knives, dove into a trench and started hacking the Japanese to death. Yeah. You know what? Fuck the Japanese. Fuck the Imperial Japanese Army. So you deserve it. But also... I mean, you know, it's like, hey, he trained his guys to do this stuff. The Gurkhas trained their guys to do this stuff. It's just a shame that in order to get to the actual, you know, point of engagement, they had to uh, travel in like world's most casualty causing mode of transit. But I'm actually pitching an idea to Armenia to uh, redo our public uh, transportation infrastructure, but only using gliders. You know, you know, it's that, weirdly like, being funded by the Azeri government. I'm not sure why, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, deep down that like that just this is going to happen to us that like, you know, when when we do the, the, the world's dumbest stage prop for a live show and it kills all three of us, we're going to be reincarnated as people who fight and fucking a glider unit in World War Two. That's, that's, like, that's the eternal punishment. <laughs> Yeah, it's like we'll be we'll probably be we'll still be Americans, which means I'll actually learn how to throw a baseball correctly because like, you know, I'll grow up in like 1920s America like, hey, sunny boy kind of shit. But like, we'll all die in a glider. It's like that Tom Cruise film where he keeps uh, dying and uh, being reincarnated to fight in a war. But it's just a glider crashing over and over it's again. Just you're constantly it's Groundhog Day for being a glider. Gli- not, no, being a glider crewman not being the physical if you're reincarnated as the glider then that's just hell that's just like yeah you just glider based sisyphus (laughs) (laughs) it's important to imagine the glider happy when it crashes it's its thing it it loves it it's it's kink yeah (laughs) oh god someone's gonna draw naughty kink glider now now uh while all this is happening the chindits began to build their strongholds one of these is called white city uh, which popped up seemingly overnight and because they didn't take a break while building it. And then as it was done, the Japanese launched an attack against it. They ran smack dab into trenches, intersecting fields of fire, landmines and booby traps. And as soon as the battle ended, the Chindits immediately went to work improving their defenses. So they butchered the Japanese again when they attacked again. And pretty much this just just kept happening at Broadway and again at White City. By the time the Japanese launched an attack, the Chinnits had been so dug in, the Japanese bounced right off of them. And this is where Wingate kind of noticed the problem with the stronghold idea. Despite massive air and artillery support, the Chinnits were still wildly outnumbered by the Japanese garrison, which meant that they could just keep attacking the strongholds. This pinned the Chindits in place to defend them, constantly rebuilding them, and maybe, possibly, actually needing to rest in between attacks. This meant they had no time, by the end of that f- those first chaotic movements of the operation, to actually attack the Japanese as they intended, do Chindit shit. Though this did mean that while the Chindits' original goal was dead in the water, they were acting as a massive thorn in the side for the Japanese, drawing all the resources away from the northern Burmese theater. So it's kind of 
like an accidental victory on the part of Wingate. Yeah, I mean, I was part of me was like, wow, what a what a brilliant thought leader. He invented the concept of Jian Bien Fu, fucking, <laughs> you know, 10, 11, 12 years early. However, yeah, my I see grandpa the point. isn't very happy about this invention. <laughs> exactly. He's just like, oof, this is weird. I hate Brits already. And then there's this one weird guy who had this, he, he has this one weird trick. This one weird trick will kill an entire French empire. Now, despite, I guess you could call this a success, right? Like they, they hit the ground, strongholds are built. They are a massive thorn in the side of the Japanese. But Wingate was where he wanted to be the least, acting as a staff officer and not leading his men from the front. But he was doing his best to get to the front constantly, jumping into any plane he could find to fly over to the strongholds, visit soldiers, raise their spirits. Because like, even though this man is nuts, even though every single other officer outside the Chindits, and actually some inside, only a few, fucking hate him, the Chindits themselves worship him. They love him. Just seeing him show up at a stronghold would raise their morale. But... During one of these trips from Chindit headquarters to a stronghold, the Mitchell bomber Wingate was flying in, crashed into the jungle, and killed him. He's I dead. It. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it was going to be something like this. Like it was going to be like relatively ignominious. It wasn't going to be like you know leading a charge from the front, doing heroic fucking you know martyrdom shit. It would just be like, uh, uh we forgot there was like a power line there and it just kills everyone like the that. enemy the enemy couldn't kill him a shitty british pump bomber had to be the one that took him out <sighs> yeah exactly and, and there's been a fair amount of retreading about how exactly this happened over the years at one point the weather was blamed for taking him out like taking the bomber out but you know the weather was actually fine there was only light rain which only takes you out if you're flying like whiz airways or something <laughs> um, then it came out that one of the bomber's pilots reported to their commander that one of the engines isn't working correctly However, the flight was ordered to go on anyway because that commander did not want to be the one to delay Ord Wingate and incur his wrath. So he crashed and died because people were actually worried about how he would react to the flight being late, which again only happens uh, if it's Wiz Airways most of the time. Yeah. I was going to take a cadence and just sing it and be like, <laughs> oh, there are no chinned forces in the Air Force. No, there are no chindit forces in the Air Force because they fly up in the sky and sometimes crash and burn and die. Oh, there are no chindit forces in the Air Force. There you go. <laughs> As the chindits were in the field and actively in combat, Delhi headquarters quickly went to work finding Wingate's replacement, and they found it in a guy named Walter Letanier. Now, this shocked everyone in the chindit organization because it was no secret that Wingate himself did not like Letanier. Uh, previous to this, he was Wingate's second command, but he'd been forced on him. And when Wingate tried to use his clout to get rid of him, but Latanier was one of Archibald Wavell's boys and therefore stayed in place. And the reason for Wingate's hatred was pretty basic. Latanier didn't like Wingate or even his tactics, which seemed pretty important for a commander of a unit specializing in said tactics. Then he had f failed like pretty much every task he had ever been given by Wingate to do in the field since the beginning of Operation Thursday. But he ended up in command anyway, because, you know, he's Wavell's boy. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he took command, he ordered several of the strongholds to be taken down, and the men ordered North to establish a new stronghold called Blackpool. 
Now, for some reason, he decided that this stronghold needed to be very, very close to the Japanese northern line of advance, which put them in range of their heavy artillery. So as soon as it, they just started building Blackpool, the Japanese began bombing the shit out of it with their artillery and attacking it. At no point did Latanier even bother to visit Blackpool or even leave his headquarters. He hadn't even looked at a train or weather map for the area. So, as soon as the men got there, started building, and started getting hit by the Japanese, they were hit by a fucking typhoon. Whoops. Which he would have seen coming if he even, like, went to the ignored office of the, the army's meteorologist or whatever. I'm just imagining, like, no one doing the code word translation and telling Churchill, like, oh, the Japanese obliterated Blackpool with artillery, and then a typhoon hit it, and he was like, oh, thank Christ, I fucking hate that place. <laughs> And weirdly, it hasn't been rebuilt yet. Um, <laughs> Blackpool is famously kind of get a shit, but like I, I'm not going to hate on it in the way that, that English people do because there's there's definitely some class shit going on there. But yeah, like it's talk, always class shit. Yeah, tra- talking talking trash about Blackpool is a is is very much a, like a, a southern English guy thing. So uh, or or when your kids leave the lights on, saying it's like the Blackpool illuminations in here. So you know what? We'll leave it with that. But the fact that it, that he called it Blackpool and it gets obliterated is going to make a lot of british listeners laugh i think if i can comprehend their minds sort of kind of trying our british cultural liaison nate yeah uh, guy who's that- guy who was a tiabu until he actually moved to england and then he was like <laughs> fuck ah, why do they talk like that then because he had actually ordered the other strongholds to be abandoned or to build a blackpool there's nothing to slow the japanese down and before long japanese soldiers were inside the wire at blackpool fucking shit up Less than a month after being established, Blackpool had to be abandoned so quickly that medical officers executed their own severely wounded rather than let them fall into the hands of the Japanese, then dumped their bodies into the jungle and ran for it. Oh my god, fuck. The retreat itself was a nightmare, as no retreat had ever been planned and no orders had ever been passed down. Nobody even knew where to go. And by the time that they had gotten away, they got down to a, a river and were evacuated, like the, the worst off, were evacuated by a, a small army of flying boats. Um, yeah, I, I assume Mountbatten actually saw into the future on that one. <laughs> like, well, it worked at Dunkirk and, and Mountbatten was like, no, I want to reach the stars. And then, and then someone, <laughs> someone in Ireland is like, we got plan and development just you wait about 30 years or so the irish republican space program (laughs) Uh, this was like only the worst off of the wounded and the sick and virtually every other soldier was you know the ones that were considered not the worst off were still really bad off they're the walking wounded they were very badly ill they were starving and they were exhausted so they were left in the field to continue fighting as latanier ordered them to attack a place called point 2171, which is never a good sign, uh, that overlooked the Muaogong River. This is despite everyone barely being able to stand. The, the Chindits were ordered to advance up this hill, which, because a typhoon had just hit, it was a muddy wasteland, all while being battered by still the monsoon rains, which they called, quote, slime up to their knees, which normally only happens at certain conventions. And, like, the Japanese were hitting them with machine gun bullets, making it rain with uh, mortars and grenades. And remember how weak and sick these men are, like they're mud zombies shambling up to the top of the hill. But they did capture it. And let me Uh, guess, 
the Chin Dits also invented the concept of the Vietnam War and uh, or the U.S. War in Vietnam, and it was immediately abandoned afterwards. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Typically, now, when you've never heard of it, and it's just a number for a hill. That's that tends to be the case. It's any time that I start a podcast off with a, like an exact date and time, you know something bad's coming. And any time a position simply has a number, you know it's going to be a horrible waste of human life. Sounds about right. And you know, the weather was still very, very bad. Their train was awful. They couldn't be resupplied by air. So as soon as they captured it, they were ordered to abandon it and start hauling their supplies back down the hill. Because after supply drops were canceled... They began to drag shit up the hill. And now on the trip back down, men were literally dropping dead. Their bodies were left in the open because everybody else was simply too tired to bury them or even to cover them. Yeah, I mean, as we're constantly saying, il faut imaginer les chindites shitting themselves. Like, <laughs> Sisyphean is only scratching the surface. Sisyphean and plus dysentery. There's so much. It's, it's foundational dysentery. And, uh, and and no poison, uh, no, no bad python meat to speak of this time. And like discipline completely collapses because, of course, it does. Men are openly talking about murdering Letanier if they ever see him because none of them have se- seen him in like weeks or months. Um, the Chindit's medical officer demanded that if the mission was going to go on, he needed to do an in-depth examination of his soldiers. So he found that what was left of the brigade, which at the best of time to be 3,500 men was about 1,000 men less at this point, 2,200. But after the medical officer's examination, he found only 100 men were considered fit for duty. And these were still sick. I mean, that's just a you know, 97% attrition rate. You know, it's still good. Well done. Yeah, hey, Stalin smiling on you from the <laughs> Eastern Front. Hell yeah. Chindit Brigade. Now we've got a company minus. We're still good. <laughs> And this finally forced the operational overall commander, noted asshole we've talked about before, General Joseph Stilwell of the United States military, to grudgingly accept that Chindits would need to be withdrawn back to India. But he still bitched and complained about it, and only really relented when one British officer pointed out that his own American and Chinese soldiers were also mostly dead. Uh, So he backed off. And so the last Chindit would finally leave the Burmese battlefield on August 27th, 1944. And by the time they finally got back to India, the Chindits were destroyed. They had suffered 1,396 killed, 2,434 wounded, but even the men who didn't die were damn close to it. Virtually every man ended up in the hospital long term, racked with diseases like typhus, malaria, dysentery, encephalitis, and weirdly, syphilis. It's best we don't look into that last one. We simply will not examining it (laughs) one of those dudes had been stuck on fuck island during the last mission (laughs) i was gonna say much like lord mountbatten's relationship with the kinkora boys home we will not be looking into it (laughs) so the survivors were so malnourished on the verge of death they had to be put on a special tapered diet to slowly bring them back from the brink because if they're allowed to eat regularly as soon as they got back it would have killed they them. would die yeah exactly this is famously known as the same regimen holocaust survivors had to yeah. be put on yeah yeah it's really sad but yeah it's, it's true that like literally that kind of shock to your system can kill you and will yeah. kill you in most cases so like yeah this yeah. is medical this is actual good medical advice but jesus christ the few men who didn't have to go through that 
were sent back through training camp to prepare for the next Chindit missions when Allied Command stopped and thought for a moment. What the fuck are, are we doing here? The casualty numbers are by far the worst in the entire Allied army uh, in the West, at least, like per mission. And it would require the most amount of training in order to bring them back up to strength. They consumed a huge amount of material when in the field and was a massive weight on the ankle of the logistic system. And as good as that logistic system was, it doesn't work well uh, when it's only being used via air supply. Then wondered, on top of all of that, what did they actually accomplish? Nothing, really. And also, Field Marshal William Slim pointed out, like, Wingate, even though he's dead, but like, the, the concept of the Chindits required the best soldiers, the most fit soldiers to even survive the training and possibly survive in the field. However, he was losing them at such a rate and killing so many and possibly like handicapping for the rest of their life, the ones that survive. He degraded the overall quality of the military for no gain. I would argue that there is actually a purpose to all this, and it's a thread running through the entirety of Ord Wingate's life from earliest childhood is that he set out to find a military purpose for being fucking annoying. And when you look at what they did to the Japanese in Burma, they annoyed the shit out of them nonstop. That's really it. He, I mean, yeah, that's true. He purely he weaponized himself. He created like a new operational term for annoyance ops. Like he just being annoying as fuck in a military context. You gotta, I don't know. the The operational term in graphics should be like a, you know, like a like a friendly square or an enemy diamond symbol, and it's just like a garlic necklace, and that's just, just being annoying. <laughs> it's Wingating psychological it operations, but against my own men. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, 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 just do pull, pulling an ord, pulling a wingate, doing your thing, you know. Nope. Chindittery. That sounds vaguely racist. I'm sorry. That sounds like, like a secret <laughs> slur you would only learn if you had a private audience with Churchill. <laughs> uh, what is clear is that Army Command, whether on purpose or not, killed the concept of the Chindit by promoting a man to lead them after the death of Wingate, who actively hated the idea of the Chindits. Despite the fact there's plenty of true believers who embrace Wingate's doctrine within its ranks, they could have easily promoted them instead, but they didn't. Because they didn't like them for the same reason they didn't like Wingate. So do you think Lentenier was placed there to basically run them into the ground so they didn't have to deal with them anymore? I don't think so. I think that was just an unintended secondary purpose. I, mean, I don't want to be like mega conspiracy theory, but yeah, it does. I, I, take your, I take your point that like, yeah, of all the people that could have been like Wingate, you know, in post Wingate's death, they picked a guy who clearly didn't care. And it, basically his, his approach to leading this unit was like when you build a wall around your Sims and let them starve to death. <laughs> effectively like he Latanier was the, the, the worst possible choice he did not care for the tactics he never really learned them he never really bothered to command them during the operation um, and he was bulletproof because he's Wavell's guy um, I think by promoting him it had the unintended consequence of having the operation go so horribly badly that there was no coming back from it because Wingate, he was more of a experimental concepts guy. You really can't even argue he's a great commander himself, but it's hard to think that it would have gone so badly if he was if he lived through it. 
but also um, it's one of these things where it's like uh he probably for all of his weird eccentric idiosyncratic approach to military planning and operations and whatnot he probably wouldn't have concentrated all of his strong points into one big strong point and been like put it inside the bubble of every single japanese artillery piece probably not yeah that that's a that's a that's a good uh, at minimum uh, thing that he wouldn't have done because again i don't think he was a great battlefield commander but because he was effectively a concepts nerd he would have realized that was a bad idea hence why he didn't originally plan it that way yeah, if he had done that what he actually would have done is that all of his actual outposts all of the things that were going to be engaging with the enemy you know in force on force stuff in direct fire would have been totally protected but the latrines for all of his men would have been in every bubble and every range fucking of all japanese munitions because shitting is for the weak or something <laughs> yeah, yeah. You exactly. actually want if you want to be a warrior, you shit yourself after eating a rotten python. <laughs> Take a, an awful amphetamine shit full of rotten python and keep on trucking, baby. Mm, that's the lines led by donkeys. Promise we'll invent a new way to make dysentery worse. Now, Nate, we do a thing on this show called questions from the Legion. And if you'd like to ask us a question from the Legion, donate to the show on Patreon at any level. You can join the Discord. Tell us your questions on the Discord. You can ask us on Patreon. You can pack your question into a rotten python. Nate will eat it. He will then shit it out, and we'll read the question on air. And this is the worst form of Kopi <laughs> Luwak anyone has ever devised. <laughs> Let me get my coffee filter. Um, today's question is, what is a weird hill you will die on? Your wildest hill that you will die on? I mean... I could, I could, I don't know, Joe, do you, can you think of one off the top of your head for yourself? Cause I mean, I, I, I feel like there's philosophically, morally, et cetera, there, are, I might have some and then, uh, and then I feel like there's a lot of like big ideas, but since this is like a, a dumb wild hill that I'll die on, I have to think small picture. I mean, I definitely have one for, for a dumb, dumb one that I absolutely believe. I, the hill that I will die on is that if you're talking on speakerphone in public, I should be allowed to smack the phone out of your hand. I hate it so much. I mean, I agree with you. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, at best, like there's a degree to which it's it's interesting to me where someone's like, "Well, we're on a public bus or something." You know, surely everyone on this bus has noise canceling headphones and wants to hear me have my annoying conversation. Uh, except when you can defeat the noise cancellation because you're that fucking loud and not everyone has headphones. There are times when I'm like. I wish you got thrown out the window like that scene in whatever Harrison Ford Indiana Jones movie it was where he throws the people off the Zeppelin or some shit. <laughs> yeah, um, like if I'm trapped in a metro, a tram, um, elevator, and there's someone sitting and they're on their speakerphone, I just like my whole body like recoils because I can't imagine having a public conversation like that. Um, and they're never like normal conversations is always like the weirdest most fucked up shit you've ever heard to the point that i'm like am i uh, am i being filmed for some youtube video that i'm unaware of like is this like a bit yeah 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 there is that sometimes you're like i i just genuinely can't believe you're you're doing that and i um i mean well look my if i was to go out on a limb and be be serious i would say that like i think that it's very the hill that i have to die on is that my serious one is that i don't 
like the fact that there are certain attributes that people would describe as being small c conservative, that there's no other word in the English language to describe them that way. Because like when it comes to a level, call it like of cautiousness of, uh, of sort of, you know, being, uh, like if you were, if you use, you know, you're, 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 you, you save money, not because you're like, you know, a miser, but like you, you being cautious, be like, oh, you're, you're like conservative with your money. I don't like that because it's like at this point being conservative apparently means being racist and stupid and also dumping trillions of dollars into the dumbest shit ever. So maybe the point is like true conservatism has never been tried and I don't even want to be, I fucking hate it, but like, it's irritating to me because it's like, I can't think of any other word. Like, like in the same way that, you know, if you're, people would say that if you're not like, a, I don't know, like someone who isn't necessarily into like being insanely sexual, but isn't weird about it, but just, it's just like, not, it's like, it's just that stuff's not for me. It's like, people would say that's being like prudish, but it's not like, you know what I mean? There's this yeah, like, different failure. strokes for different folks, man. Everybody's yeah, exactly. Different. I don't give a fuck what people do. Like, it's just one of those things where I know what's for me and what's not from that kind of a thing, that failure of language. And so it's like, I get very frustrated. Like, it's not even if definitionally calling that some of that behavior is conservative, it's like at this point, what a conservative and conservatism means in practice has polluted it to the point where like, we need a better word. Um, my dumb, funny hill to die on is Duran Duran are good, especially their first fucking three albums are exceptionally good. And as people who wrote all their own songs, played all the instruments, they're great. And I feel like that's not necessarily controversial, but it was 20 years ago because there was such a sort of like first wave of American alternative, like basically like people really were ah, fucking Duran Duran, a goddamn MTV fucking, they're all gay as hell <clears throat> kind of band, that, re- that reaction. But like the funniest explanation of this I can ever get was there was a dude in my eye-bullet I class who was, uh, he was an air marshal. Like he was the guy who like secretly <laughs> has a gun on your plane. Um, and he was a New York National Guardsman. Um, and he was just like, yeah, you know, my job's federal air marshal. I just, just hang out on planes with a gun, you know, but, but I do it for good reasons. Um, he was a huge Duran Duran fan. And I remember he's much older. This was, you know, in 2007 and he was probably like in his late 30s. So you know, he'd been like I, doing the math here, you know, was in his 20s. What, in the early 90s, like late 80s, early 90s, something like that. Anyway. He was just like, yeah, it was so funny to me because growing up, people were like, man, Duran Duran's so gay. He's like, those dudes fucking nailed some of the hottest women to ever exist on this planet. And meanwhile, all you like metalhead heshers were like, you know, listen to a real band for real men like Judas Priest, <laughs> <laughs> which is like not not to cast aspersions. But when R- Rob Halford came out, it was like, oh, now all the leather shit makes a little more sense. Like, I wasn't aware that there was like a, a, a concerted effort to assault the hill that was Duran Duran. You'd be amazed at how much people think of that as kind of like a disposable bullshit band. And it's like, no, nah, man, they were they were really good. I mean, they went through their <laughs> once cocaine didn't work to get them through the day anymore. They kind of fell off. But like those, <laughs> those first couple of years, like that, that first, like call it half decade, like they were great. They were genuinely great. And it was weird to me. Maybe this, I'm showing my them age. hungry like the wolf. Yeah, I'm just saying, dude, like if you for if cocaine. You were, <laughs> I mean, I don't think John Taylor would argue with that. Uh, I will just say, yeah, if you uh, um, probably probably one of the well, you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and say among the best things to ever come out of the city of Birmingham, England, Duran Duran, check out their self-titled album. Check out Rio. Check out uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger. Say Rio is probably the best out of the three. Good band. You know what? They actually were good. But man, if you people who are like middle to old Gen Xers in America especially, you say that and you might as well have been like, I love eating dog shit off the street. Like, they'll think you are like, like, oh, you have no taste. You're a fucking teeny bopper. And it's like, man, I don't care about whatever weird ass fights y'all were having in the early 80s. I was negative too. I don't care. 
I feel like this is like the same argument that comes between like the heavy metal or grunge coming out of hair metal. And if you listen to hair metal that like you're a loser or whatever. Yeah. It, it's all arguments that happened before I was even uh, a glimmer in my father's eye. Yeah. Or in my case, like, yeah, when, uh, when like, like everyone, the, the, the weird arguments about it, it's like, no, man, if you go back and listen to like mother love bone and shit, like the stuff that kind of spawned Pearl Jam, like they, it was, it was closer mother to love bone fucking rules. It was clo- It's closer to fucking to, it's not quite warrants cherry pie, but you know what I mean? Like it's in that general universe. And it's just like sound, like sound garden, early sound garden was just basically, you know, Seattle, cock rock hair metal except the dudes all fucking worked at fish markets and like you know it's it's just it was just a kind of regional rock and roll thing and a lot of the grunge stuff was just a and r and marketing like yeah it's just stupid i mean i'm 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 an, i'm i'm ecumenical about bad 80s and 90s music i actually like a lot of it and i feel like it needs a reappraisal if and anybody people- if anybody here is gonna die on the hill of shitty music it's gonna be me um to quote a shitty band um, I thought it, you were going to say it was me because God knows I've got some opinions, but like, you know, no, it's, last- it, it's got to be me. Like I, I have argued time and time again uh, with Tom that I love metalcore music and I know it sucks, but it's fun. Like, <laughs> like I don't give a fuck. I, I grew up in the peak. I mean, we grew up effectively at the same time. You're a little bit older than me, but I grew up in the peak of like emo and screamo and metalcore and new metal and all the other shit. And it's like, it may, if you don't like it, okay it's just not for you man like it doesn't mean that it inherently sucks because i think a lot of music sucks it's very very popular i agree i mean i i agree and i i I find a lot of stuff that's 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 good you know like doing well on charts unlistenable i mean god knows i remember being mega jet lag coming back from um a business trip in the uk for work where i'd gotten no sleep and trying to buy a bottle of water at the fucking little kiosk outside at JFK and it was playing fucking the first time I had ever listened to the lyrics of Ed Sheeran's The Shape of You and I'm like this sucks so bad I want someone to kill me like it's yeah it's terrible but at the end of the day it's like some people like it you know randomly I went and saw Elton John because we got tickets and he played the song that he and Dua Lipa did and which wouldn't typically be a thing I'd want to listen to he did a fucking song with Dua Lipa (laughs) yes and it was a number one he had a number one in like 2020 because he and Dua Lipa did a song Elton John starting off with like a Black Eagle across my shit. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, like, <laughs> and, and like, yeah. It's just like, just well, it was remixed by the guys who formed a band. That they were formerly in a group called Empire of the Sun. So like, it's it's basically like this vibe intersection of sort of like Australian yacht rock dance music slash Dua Lipa slash Elton John. But it's and it takes the hook from Rocket Man and repurposes it. But it's I love the good. idea of like Albanian nationalist Elton John. I mean, you know what that man? I feel as though. Albania recently showed up in some in some survey data as the country in Europe with the highest cocaine use rate. And I feel like Elton John would be like, spiritually, then I am an Albanian. Or at it's least a, in the 1970s, I was an Albanian. Yeah, it's making a whole lot more sense now. He's like, he, he spent a lot of 70s sitting in a, like an Enver Hoaxia bunker for no well, discernible quote, reasons. Elton John's own autobiography, as he said, in the 1970s to stand out among other musicians in Los Angeles for excessive cocaine use was quite an accomplishment but i was ready to do my bit for queen and country i mean that 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 does make elton john make a lot more sense from back then same with like when you hear that stephen king during like the height of his like his best of uh books when he was was writing three thousand words a day every day for like a year yeah yeah he was just off his mind off booze and coke i'm like yeah yeah that makes that that makes it make a lot more sense thanks bro (laughs) yeah yeah i mean uh 
at the end of the day, dude, I guess cocaine did help you write. It also fused a neural pathway that made you th- think that the way out of a plot hole was like, what if we gave a handicapped boy special powers? <laughs> like, what if he had magic behind him? Oh, uh, that's not that's not true. He got his way out of a plot hole once by having a child gangbang in a sewer. I'll he have did, you know. yeah. And there was a magic clown. Okay, and there correction. Was... It was more of a train situation than a gangbang. <sighs> yes, there is there is kind of a child orgy scene in 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 it. It's weird in the same way that if you actually go and you read the dialogue for um uh, Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, it's just like what. I'm so sorry. Like it, it, it is, it, it is the world's most Mormon sci-fi book in so many ways. To include like a certain, a certain frankness that no preteens have about sex in a way. When he's like, "Wow, we just won the battle." And there's like maybe two, two pubic hairs between the three of us. I'm like, no one fucking talks like that. You're weird. <laughs> and I'm not making this up. And I'm not even exaggerating. Like I'm dead serious. So. We got off topic because I'm on the show. and you I know, mean, technically, it was on topic because there's a question from Legion. We made it all the way there. We made uh, it all the way there. So, yeah, my, 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 my die on the hill is like find a better word to describe some of these habits that you might call it like ascetic or austere that aren't uh, conflated with horrible politics because I really wish the English language would let me explain that. And number two, Duran Duran is good. And number three, Joe said that uh, you should die if you talk on speakerphone in public. Also, he likes metalcore and bad music. And also, at the end of the day, uh, Elton John is spiritually Albanian. <laughs> but yes the song is called cold heart i think and it uh it was a number one so elton john has had a number one now in the 2020s uh well, i guess that's one thing that me and elton john no longer have in common and the one thing i'll say is i saw elton john live and he's very old he's still an incredible performer but obviously he's showing his age and they had a moving set with the piano but the moving set also like put out a bunch of fog and stuff and there was a point at which he was moving the, the moving set was moving around blasting out fog while he's playing and i was like it kind of looked like elton john was playing piano on top of a zamboni <laughs> but you know what you never know you know it's getting old i wanted to make sure i could see him i i uh i i didn't see fleetwood mac when i had a chance to and then they finally kicked fucking Lindsay buckingham out of the band for good so i'll never see them uh hey, rumors is still one of the best albums ever made so is I tusk, stand by that. tusk yeah. is fucking insanely good and uh and and the la- god uh, I, this is going on forever but i gotta say this this is just the lines led by donkey's music talk All right, my last music talk thing that I'll say before we close this out is um, I'm a huge fan of, I made the joke about Australian yacht rock, but like Australian musicians managed to do something. Bands like, specifically bands like Cut Copy, uh, Miami Horror, Van Shee, uh, Midnight Juggernauts. There's just, there was like a vibiness to, and Cut Copy is the great example of this. But what I realized it is, what I realized it is finally completely by accident is they just stole the Fleetwood Mac album Tango in the Night and added like drum machines and more sense to it. Like so much stuff is so wholesale, wholesale stolen from that. And it, like it all makes sense now. I mean, Australia itself is just stealing Britain and making it hot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> in, in many senses of the term. But yes, when I realized that the key to understanding what where Cut Copy got their thing was just sort of like, what if like French Touch producers like uh, Philippe Zadar produced 70s and 80s Fleetwood Mac that that was it so uh you know what I'm always learning I'm always figuring out new things and at the end of the day I love this show because I somehow am getting paid to talk about a guy who eats pythons and shit himself and also Fleetwood Mac so Joe thank you so much for a great series uh thanks for joining me man uh and you have podcasts that people should listen to uh, which ones are they? If anybody is still listening to us at this point. Yeah, I would say just check out the shows What a Hell of a Way to Die, Trash Future, and Kill James Bond. I am co-host and producer of the first two and just producer of the last one. 
they're all very fun shows. Uh, they're <laughs> aside from Hell of a Way, they tend to be smarter than me because uh, Hell of a Way is just me and Francis and co-hosts, and God knows, fucking, we're not smart. But Trash Futures got some smart people. Kill James Bonds has some very smart people, and uh, it's, it's always a fun time. So uh, enjoy that. This is the only show that I do. So if you think what we do here is worth your money, you can support us on Patreon. You get. Almost six years of bonus content, Discord access every episode early. You get ebooks, audiobooks, first dibs on merch and live show tickets when we have them, and all sorts of other stuff. And uh, if you if you don't want to do that, or maybe you do want to do that, you could also still leave us a review on wherever it is you listen to podcasts. It helps us immensely. Until next time, eat bad Python, do meth, and shit yourself. It'll get you where you want to be in life, aka crashed in the middle of a jungle and dead.